I'm so excited. I had 30 people at the end of the service last week. I talked, I invited people to read through the book of Nehemiah with me. I have 30 people doing that with me every day. Um, well, almost every day of the week. And uh, I'm really excited about this series as we journey through this whole book together. And we talked about last week really as the intro, which if you weren't here, I'd really encourage you to go on our website uh, or social media and, and watch or listen to the sermon because it really sets the stage for the context of this book and helps us understand what's going on as we start to move through the story. Um, but what we're, what we're looking at and what the book of Nehemiah tells is ultimately this man, Nehemiah, the, the people, the Israelites have been exiled out, out of Jerusalem for their sin. Uh, they've repeatedly ignored God, his commandments. God, time over time, has given them second, third chances. He said, look, if you guys do not change, like, I'm going to allow this sin uh, to sort of play out consequences, and you're going to be scattered. But know this, even in the midst of those consequences, I love you, and I'm going to bring you back. And Nehemiah finds himself uh, as one of those who has been scattered, and he, uh, he gets a report about back home in Jerusalem, and the city wall is destroyed, and he hears this problem, and it just burdens him. And last week, we talked about just problems in our life. We all have them, and how do we respond to problems? And one of the things I talked about is, is you know, it can be easy to ignore. Sometimes we just ignore the problems in our life. Uh, or sometimes we just, we initially react to the problems in our life by jumping to, to solutions. And yet what we see Nehemiah do right away is he hears the problem and he doesn't ignore it. He doesn't jump into action. He, he, he presses into God. It says he, he wept. He, he let like the reality of the news like hit him. He, he wanted to feel it. He felt it. And then he prayed and fasted. And last week we just talked about, like, what if we in the midst of our problems, instead of ignoring them or reacting, is what if we stepped back and we pressed into God, even if it was just for a moment? What if we, what if we took time to pray and fast and seek the presence of God? How might it change the way we interact, deal with, uh, and hopefully find solutions to problems in our life? I want to read for you. Uh, this text again, because we're going to look at what happens sort of next. After the, these days of praying, weeping, lamenting, fasting, what happens next? So it says, I'm just going to start in verse 1. It says, the words um, of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, uh, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That's sort of where we left off. Um, but verse 5, there's this word that we probably just run right by it. But I think it's critical to recognizing um, what God does next. And that word is then. Verse 5, then I said, Lord, 
The God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you today and night, praying before you day and night for your servant, uh, for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my family's, my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted wicked, very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant. That word, then. It, you know, verse, the first few verses, Nehemiah gets the news, and his response is, is lamenting, it's praying, it's fasting. And then we get to verse, verse 5, and it says, then. Like, th this is then the response. And while, while it doesn't say this, I have to assume that what happened is, is the result of Nehemiah's pressing in toward God through lament, prayer, fasting. I mean, it says that he did this for days. He didn't pick up and just go. He didn't just uh, pick up and leave or go to the king and ask for permission, which ultimately he's a, he, he will do. He doesn't just you know, leave on his own and go to Jer Jerusalem. God doesn't, God, it, it doesn't sound like, like at least God, God didn't say do that first. But in this time, uh, it seems to me safe to assume that God revealed to Nehemiah the need for repentance. Like, if, if you're going to rebuild the wall, and ultimately this series is not just about rebuilding the wall, it's about rebuilding the people. This is a broken people. I mean, yeah, the wall is broken. Their, their temple has been destroyed. There's a lot of like physical rebuilding that has to happen. But we're talking about a people that have been torn apart from their sin, their fathers, like generational sin and disobedience. They've been, you know, uh, taken over by another people group. Like they've experienced a lot of pain and suffering and a lot of problems in their life. And ultimately, they need to be rebuilt. And one of the things that God reveals to Nehemiah right away is the call to repentance. And that's what Nehemiah does first. It's like all these days of pressing into God, it seems like God said, you've got to repent. Like Nehemiah becomes aware of the sin. And recognizes that a lot of the problems that the people have had and have are a result of the people's disobedience to God and the sin in their life. And just think about that for a second and the problems in your life. And, and I want to be careful here, but how many of the problems in, in your life or how many of the problems in the world, when you boil it down, like you boil it down or you, you, you start to dig into ultimately the root of the problems in my life, the problems in the world, are, are a result of my sin or other people's sin. Now, I want to be careful there because I don't think, like, if, if you got a diagnosis this last week or within the last year or at any time in your life, like, let's say you were diagnosed with cancer, that's not, it's not a result uh, of, of your sin. I want to be careful in saying that, you know, I don't think God does that. I don't think, like, I, bad things happen to good people for no good reason. But, if, but ultimately, 
That's not in God's design. God's design was not for us to, to, to be sick. God's design is not for, for there to be poor people and hungry people, broken people. But the fall of humanity, when Adam and Eve sinned, ushered in a brokenness that brought in sickness, poverty, debauchery, greed, lust. At the end of the day, sin has broken humanity. It's broken our world. And when you boil down problems, you can probably find sin as the root. And Nehemiah, I think his eyes were opened in his praying and fasting. That he realized that the exile, like the problems that the Israelites have had, ultimately is because they just, they, their sin and their, their, their continual disobedience against God. And what does he do? He doesn't wallow. He doesn't, you know, just go, he doesn't run from God. Which often we do, like we feel bad about our sin. We feel awful about it. We hide. I mean, that's the first thing that Adam and Eve did. That is, I mean, we see through Adam and Eve, the natural reaction that, that when, when we sin is to hide. Because sin lives in darkness. It's where it, it lives, it breeds, it grows. Nehemiah doesn't go and hide. He doesn't, you know, run from God. He actually runs to God. And he goes, God, Forgive me, forgive my fathers, forgive my people for our sin. Our sin has put us here. All this, the mess that we find ourselves in is a result of our sin. And if we want to rebuild the wall, if we want to rebuild the people, it's going to start with turning to God. It's going to start by recognizing this, the, like the place of sin in my life, the people's life, so that we can ultimately let God in to heal. You know, we, uh, we just replaced a few windows in our house this last week. Actually, we ordered them in November. Talk about delays. And we just got them installed. And uh, this crew came in and I was out on the deck, and our bedroom window is up above the deck, and I was just watching them, and they, they take apart the window, and then they removed, you know, this, it's a fairly large, kind of three-paneled window, remove it, and for like the next at least hour, uh, a guy up there is using, you know, his tools, hammer, chisel, uh, box knife, you know, whatever he has to sort of clean that space of the debris. You know, the leftover kind of uh, wood, wood uh, that, that, uh, that, was, that was there uh, when they installed the windows, the glue, the caulking, like plastic pieces. Like there was all this debris left from the original window. And if you want to rebuild the window, put the new window in, you've got to take the time. If you want it done right, 
to prep that space. And it, mean, it meant like meticulously going through and chiseling, hammering, scraping away all the remnants, all the debris. I think for a lot of us, what, what happens in our lives when it comes to sin is we're living with a lot of debris. Like there's, there's just things that, that, that uh, we're either, we ignore or we're unwilling to, to sort of admit and it just kind of lives there. And we want like to be healed and we want, we, we don't want like this stuff in our, we don't want this debris in our life, like this sin that, that just sort of nagging and, and, and existing there. And yet we don't, we don't like, we don't do, for whatever reason, whether it's fear or shame, we don't take the time to sort of chisel, scrape, like bring the debris out. A lot of us aren't experiencing renewal. A lot of us aren't experiencing sort of a rebuilding in our lives because we're unwilling to admit the debris that exists in our life. What, what's, what's really curious about sin is that the longer that sin exists, the more comfortable we become with it. Like almost as if our sin becomes just like a friend. A sort of tag along that becomes a part of us. And it works its way in so deep that, uh, that like we, f we don't even realize that it's there. Or we realize it's there and we're so ashamed or so afraid to admit it that we just, we, we, we don't do anything about it. Or we feel like there's no way that I could have this sin sort of, like it, it would I could never change. It's always going to be with me. I've had it too long. But if we want a rebuilding in our heart, our character, our spirit, our soul, we have got to be willing to ask God to show us the debris in our life and then take the necessary steps to deal with it so that we can experience healing in our lives. Two things I want to just share in regards to repentance. You've got to see it. You've got to see your sin. You've got to recognize it. You can't repent from something you don't see. You can't admit something that you don't see or realize. And what happened was Nehemiah spends these couple days praying and fasting, and it seems God revealed to him, he like opened his eyes to see sin was the first thing that had to be dealt with, the debris of, of, of sin and disobedience. And he prays, and that prayer led him to open his eyes, and it leads him to go to God and admit the sins of him and his people, and to ask God for grace and forgiveness. 
So right now, I want to invite you right now, if you're here, if you're at home, I want you to close your eyes. Go ahead, close your eyes right now. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit, as your eyes are closed, to open your spiritual eyes to sin in your life. I know it's not fun. But I, I, if we want rebuilding in our lives and healing in our lives, surgery isn't fun. But unless you get in and unless you're willing to be exposed, unless you're willing to, to cast light into the darkness, the rebuilding, the renewal, the healing won't happen. So I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you right now. God, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, come. We, you, you, Holy Spirit, part of what you do is you, you call us to repentance through conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I ask, Holy Spirit, now, in the lives of everyone here, watching online and people who will watch this maybe later in the week, would you just, God, in a gracious way, open our hearts and our minds to see the sin in our life, that just the debris in our life, the things we struggle with, the things that we either don't see or we choose to ignore, or the things that we just think are so big and so powerful over us, we could ne it could never be defeated. Open our eyes, God, to see it, to speak it, to recognize it. I want you now, if you have a phone, which I imagine most of you do, if you're willing to do this, take your phone out, grab your notes app, whatever you use to type something into, and if you're willing, I want you to, to write out sin in your life. Go ahead. I'm going to do it too, because I have it too. Sometimes, when you write it out and you look at it, it, it becomes more real. It can be one word. You can write a paragraph if you want, bullets. It can be one thing that God revealed. It could be a couple things. But I want you to put it on paper. I want you to put it on a note so you can see it. Sin, I mentioned this earlier, it lives in darkness. And so often, uh, people, we get stuck in the shame, the fear, in being exposed and admitting sin in our life, judgment from other people, that uh, we don't care to bring it to light. To bring it to light is to do what we're doing here. You ask God, God, 
as that famous 90s worship song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, to see the ugliness, the debris, the sin in my life. To write it down is to, to, to admit it, to look at it, to see it, to, to reflect on it. But if you want healing from it, the question is, are you willing to show this to someone else? You might have typed something into your phone that no one knows. Not even like your wife, your husband, your kids. Now, there's certain things maybe you shouldn't tell your kids, but you know what I'm saying. Like, there, there might be things in your life going on right now that the people that are closest to you, like, don't have any idea. Are you willing to show this to someone else? Because in James, James 5.16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You want healing? You want to bring the sin from dark to light? Are you willing to not only admit to God this, but go as far to what James says? If you want healing, you go to God with your sin, he'll forgive you. That is the grace, mercy, and kindness of God. James says if you want to take it a step further and get healing and be whole, you want to bring the, that sin from darkness and put it into light? You want to fight back? You want to change? You want to experience? You know, you look at the giants of sin in your life and you think like, uh, I, could, I could never experience freedom from it. Part of it might be because it, it's, you've never admitted it. It's always lurked in the dark. James says, if you want to defeat it, slay it. It comes through confession. It comes through prayer. And your willingness, and I know it takes courage, but your willingness to do so, what he says, brings healing. My challenge to you is to share this with someone you trust. Share this with a fellow believer, disciple of Christ. To receive their, you know, the prayer of healing. And the peace that comes when you just get it off your chest. When you bring it to light and you admit it. And maybe for the first time, you admit it to somebody. And what the church, the, the body of believers should be, is not a, a group of people that sit in judgment. As you listen to the confession of your brother and sister. The role is not for you to sit back and go, well, at least I'm not like that. We meet each other in the midst of our confession with, with, with grace and love and goodness. Why do you think God wants you? Like, wh what do you think God, why do you think God wants you to confess, to repent? What do you think motivates, like, how do you think God motivates us to do that? Fear? 
Do you think God's interested in making you afraid so that you finally change? Do you think it's shame? I'm a terrible person. God would never love me. People couldn't imagine what I've done, what I've been a part of. Do you know what Romans 2.4 says? Do you know what, what, what God does, like, uses to lead us to repentance? It isn't fear. It's not shame. Look what Romans 2.4 says. Do you show contempt for the riches of all his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? It is not uh, because he's ashamed of you. It's not because he hates you. It's not because he, he, he wants you to be afraid of him. It's not because he wants you to feel shameful about who you are and what you've done. It is the unexpected and extravagant and extraordinary kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That there's nothing you could admit to him that will surprise him. There's nothing that you could admit to him that he hasn't heard before. There's nothing you could admit to him that he didn't deal with on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's his extraordinary grace, love, and kindness to you that he uses to lead us to repentance. But it, it, it is a step that requires courage, trust, to step from darkness to light. But it is in the light that God desires you to live. It's in the light that you can experience wholeness and healing. But are you willing to press into God, to ask him to show you, God, the things, the sin in my life that I need to admit and come to you with? And are you willing to write it down? And are you willing to share it and pray with others? So that through confession and prayer, you can experience light, healing, and wholeness. It's the first step to being rebuilt. Repentance. And God's there with open arms, always, if we're willing. Would you stand with me? Jesus, uh, thank you that through you, your, 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 the cross, that... Uh, your goodness to us, your love for us. What a demonstration of just how you are so for us. You are not against us. You don't like the sin in our life because it destroys, it kills. Because it harms us. We're thankful that you sent Jesus. We're thankful that you sent Jesus to heal us wholly from our sin. But Lord, there is a requirement for us. We can live lives where uh, we're just, we're in the midst of the debris of sin, where it almost, our sin becomes our friends. 
our companions in life, even though we're, we are forgiven through the cross, we're not healed, we're still a slave to the sin, but it is through repentance, a life of continual repentance where we turn back to you, because we're going to turn away from you, but we turn back to you over and over and over again, and guess what, God? We, we claim the promise that you're there with open arms, that you're there with your healing, that you're there with a smile and a hug and, and the words, I love you, you are my daughter, you are my son, of course I forgive you. But give us the courage to walk together because it's not something ultimately we do alone. We experience healing through repentance, confession, and prayer together. And I, I just pray, God, because I think the church, like the, this church, I pray that we would be the safest place to confess and repent. And sometimes our, our trust has been betrayed by others, but God, create in us, like, help us to be a church and a community where the safest place to be and admit our failures is here with each other. Your grace is sufficient, and we're all guilty. All have fallen sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus, you're enough. And in, the, in your life, death, and resurrection, you proclaim that we are enough too if we're willing to turn to you. So just, I pray that this wouldn't be one and done, but this is a life. This is the way we live here in the, in the, at the Highlands. Is lives that we're willing to repent, admit, where we're constantly willing to step out of the shadows into light. To live a whole, healed life that Jesus, you died to give us. We love you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.